Uh, we will be starting a new series on the first chapter of Colossians. Um, we're going to call it Through Him and For Him. And we're going to be uh, today looking at what's the core of the Christian life, at what the core of it is for us to live in the gospel. And as we go through the series, we're just going to see these logs dropped on the fire as we work our way through First Corinthians, uh, pardon me, Colossians chapter one, starting verse fifteen. Uh, great things like He is the imageable image of the invisible God. And as we do this, we're going to be having uh, different preachers from our church working our way through it. So I'm going to take some of them. Uh, Eric Stark's going to take some of them. Pastor Joe's going to have some. Brian Geisler's going to take some. And together we're going to work our way through this. Because as a church and as a people and as, as who we are, we want to live our whole lives through Him, Jesus, and for Him. And one of the greatest ways we can do that is by seeing who he is, not by having 10 steps of how to do it, but again and again being reminded who he is that we're living through and for. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. I will pray for us, and we'll go ahead and dig into Colossians chapter 1. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. You are God. That is amazing. God, may we breathe deeply the reality of your incarnation. May we breathe deeply that you, God, came and you were a man. But you were not any man. You were the man who came, the God-man who came to save us from ourselves. And there's nothing we can do to earn your love. That you have earned it all for us on your cross. And we are yours and you are ours. Holy Spirit, we just pray you be with us now. Be with us, please. I just pray now. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a man-man. So I just pray the things that are just of me would be lost or forgotten. But God, the things that are of you, Jesus, would just sing in our hearts and that we just see you for who you are and we'd live our whole lives in the wake of that reality. Jesus, we pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we'll be doing Colossians uh, chapter 1, 9 through 14 today. Uh, and, and what we're going to look at here uh, as we get set up is the great gospel tension. The great gospel tension is this. If Jesus Christ, God himself, entered into human history, if God himself took on flesh incarnate, if God himself lived the life I was supposed to live, perfect, sinless, perfectly dependent on God, perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit, died on the cross in my place for my sin to reconcile me to God. So there's nothing I can do to earn His love in any way, shape, or form. But it was Christ Jesus who loved me first, not me who loved Him first. That He came and got me. He came and rescued me. That's all true. So what do I do with the rest of my life if He did it all? If Jesus paid it all, if it's finished, what do I do with every other day of my life if He finished it? I think Colossians is going to answer that question for us because here's the deal. Here's how Christianity sets itself apart from every other system, every other fad, every other religion, every other thing is us trying to figure out how we make ourselves whole or we trying to figure out how we get ourselves up to God. But in fact, it was God himself, Jesus, who had to come down for us. Um, this question's come up with a lot of the folks uh, in our church who are walking um, with Muslim folks as they have the conversation and say, well, you don't even think God's that holy. If you think God can come down and be a man, what, you don't even think God is holy at all. We think God is holy and far and out, and he would never do something like that because he's so holy and he's so wonderful and he's so perfect. The response to that is, we actually think God is holier than that because there's nothing that we as human beings could do to get to him. God is so holy that he himself had to come down and get to us. The thing we understand about the gospel 
is that it's all Jesus coming down. And it had to be Jesus. It had to be him coming down to get us. And so if Jesus has done it all, what do we do? Let's go ahead and dig in and we'll see. How do we live our lives then if he's done it all? Uh, Verse 9 the, the, main, the main thrust of our study is not really this church and not really Paul, but what he's saying here, what's in the text, but just a little setup. Uh, the Colossians uh, are a group of Christians who Paul has never met. He says here in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, what did he hear? That there were some faithful Christians in the city of Colossae, and he loved that they loved Jesus, and he, so he sends them this letter. There's even parts in the letter where it seems like he's addressing the sense that he's got some, there's some bad doctrine or some heresy or something going on in the church. And he's kind of had this sense in chapter 2 and 3 where he's like, I'm not really sure what you guys are cooking up, but I don't, I don't like it. I'm going to send you some correction here. And here's who Jesus really is. Don't get lost. He's not an angel. He's not this other stuff. Here's who he is. But these are people he's never actually met. He's writing this to people who he's never actually met. And this is a letter to a church. And here's our, our thing. As we read the Bible, 66 books of the Bible. Beautiful, beautiful Bible. Uh, we have a lot of genre. We have stories. We have narrative. Uh, in the Gospels, the story of Jesus. And these, these things here, these letters, are letters. So they're letters to actual people in actual churches. He's writing to actual people to actually be encouraged. Can I say actual one more time? Actual. They're real people, right? Now, our thing is that sometimes when we come to the letters, and even when we come to the Gospels, all we do is mine them for like doctrine or rules or whatever. But you need to understand these are real, this is real encouragement to real people like us. This is, this is for them and it's for us too because this isn't just us going to figure out what's right and wrong, but us hearing about who Jesus is. And so in verse 9 he says this, And so from now, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Those are things that we like to have, right? How many times is he going to say it? He's going to say it. Knowledge, will, understanding. He'll say knowledge again. Now, when we think about knowledge, we always reduce it to book learning as Western post-enlightenment people. How, much, how many books have you read? Right? And I, I like books. If you come to my office, my office is all books. It's a desk and books. I like books. But the thing I like about books is that they show me who Jesus is. Good books show you who Jesus is. It's really point, people pointing back to the text and back to Jesus. But what did he do? How much tutoring, how much tutelage, how many... How many classes on Christology has Paul taught the Colossians? How, how, many, how many times has he come in and parsed some Greek verbs for them? They speak Greek, so they actually don't need Greek verbs parsed for themselves. But None. What's he done for them? Pray. This is the, only, this is the first letter they get from him. He's prayed. He's prayed because he doesn't think that he's the guy that has it all together. And he's not the guy that has all the knowledge. The one they need to know about is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's going to show them. And so even as he sends this letter, if they're going to see and hear and understand, it's because Jesus Christ, uh, through the Holy Spirit, is showing them who he is. So that my point in a sermon here is not to show off some Greek parsing, because I'm kind of crappy at parsing too. But, and you're like, what's parsing? Don't worry about it doesn't matter. It's for nerds like me. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, my aim is not for you to walk away and be like, man, he really got some, something out of his education. My aim here is that you would see Jesus. And honestly, the only way we see Jesus is if Jesus moves. I have a, script, a quote 
that I keep in my Bible that I refer to often uh, before I get up to preach. It's, it's Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who my son Asa's middle name, we blessed him by not naming it his first name, even though that was a top contender, Asa Spurgeon Pack, not Spurgeon Asa Pack, lucky kid, um, says this. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would, be, would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God to give it the power to convert the soul. So what does Paul do for them? He prays. If you've got people in your life who you want to grow in the gospel, one of the most powerful things you can do for them is pray. If you've got people, and I hope you do, if you've got people who you're walking with, who you're trying to share about who Jesus is, you're trying to tell the truth, you're trying to carry the message of Jesus to them, one thing I'm going to urge you to do so desperately, pray. Pray your guts out for them. Pray. He's never even met these people, and he wants them to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And what does he do? He prays. Verse 10. All spiritual wisdom and understanding, that's the end of verse 9. Verse 10. So as all spiritual, uh, oh, there it is again. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing, there it is again, knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. How is it that we walk? Watch this. I think as, as Christians in the 21st century, oftentimes the thing that we figure out, okay, so I've become a Christian, now I've got to start doing some stuff. We're really good at that even. Oh, you just got saved. I have a stack of books for you. Get to work. Right? How is it that I'm going to live my whole life now? The first thing that I need to do is be filled with the knowledge of who Jesus is. I need to know Him and love Him and ultimately respond to Him. We're all responding to something. We're all reacting to something, right? Um, for example, um, if, if you look at your life and you look at how your parents were and you look at your own marriage and you say, I will not be controlled by the marriage that they had. I'm going to have a completely different marriage than they had. And your whole thing is not anything other than responding to, that was broken, I want something different. And I know. Some of us have parents who have really, really broken marriages. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to look at it and say, I don't want anything to do with that. But I'm saying if the only thing that we have is I'm pushing against that to do the opposite of that... My mom fed me sugar, and I have to feed my kids carob and no sugar, or vice versa. My mom uh, 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 was the carob police. You know what carob is? If you don't know, you're blessed. Uh, it's this <laughs> sort of fudgy nonsense that's you might like, but it's pretty gnarly. You're free in Christ to like it, but it is gnarly. Um, so this fudgy nonsense, and you say, well, I'm just going to let my kids eat all the sugar in the world. You're just as controlled by it as if you fell into the trap of being just like them. Are you seeing that? You're, you're responding to and reacting to and pushing against who they are or what they've done, and all you're trying to do is be something other than that. 
That's it. Jesus wants more for us. Right? Uh, not only that, but we can be responding and reacting to imaginary things. Ha- have you ever uh, had the sense uh, that there's some kind of, maybe you feel like your boss doesn't feel a certain way about you that your boss should feel about your work ethic or whatever it is, and you imagine some scenario in your head about how it's going to work out, how, how you read like half of part of an email wrong, and you impose how they feel on you in such a way that you, by the time you go to actually meet with them, you've already had 10 conversations that they weren't actually invited to in your head with them, and you treat them like those 10 conversations went the way that you thought they should go in your head. You're reacting to something. It's what, what a, one of the thinkers is going to call, one of the thinkers, an old-timey thinker is going to call vain imagination. Or, or you react to who you, what you're entitled to. You think your position should be in life, and you're reacting to it. And, and people aren't giving you the thing because don't they know that they should throw you a parade and you're awesome? You're going to be the best dude who needs a parade throw, throw him for being the best whatever you are. Don't they know you're mighty and great? You're here to save the day. You're the best would-be pool player in the world. I don't care what it is. Don't they know your big news? Don't, don't they know who you are? I'm here. Throw the parade. And then they don't throw the parade. You're like, what's wrong with these guys? You're reacting to something in your head. You're reacting to your imagination. You're reacting to the past. You're reacting to the future. But as Christians, I think we want to see as we walk, we want to be reacting to the knowledge of who Jesus is. It will change our circumstances. And we'll see this. We're going to be reacting to who Jesus is, right? Because this is what he calls to. Because we're all walking out of one of those things. So this is it. So hear it again in 9. I'm going to read it again so you can hear him say wisdom and knowledge a couple more times. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, working uh, work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's wanting us to respond to the reality of who Jesus is. Because he knows we're all prone to, want to, to respond to thing, other things. Whether they're sort of imaginary reality, which isn't reality at all. It's virtual reality is what we called it in the 90s. Or the past, or, or whatever our circumstances are. He wants something different. He wants us to respond in our circumstances to who Jesus is. And this is so crucial, church. So when we talk about what membership is, what it is to be part of this community, one of the big things we say that it's that we're a people who take responsibility for each other. To be a member of the church, I'm taking responsibility for this church, and this church is taking responsibility for me. Okay? And one of the ways that we can really take responsibility for each other is as we do life, and I, and I don't mean you're sitting there waiting with the scripture, like, rat trap to get somebody. If that doesn't make sense, it'll make sense in just a second. Um, but to actually be listening to your friends who love Jesus and hearing where they're walking in something other than Jesus, where they're walking in a reality other than Jesus. I mean, a classic one is just, I just feel so condemned. Now, here's where it becomes a rat trap. You go, well, that's my rat trap voice. Well, Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You need to buck up. Okay, you got truth, but have some love. Say it with a different voice. So, hey, man, I hear what you're saying. 
I hear that you feel so bad about that sin and you feel so, you feel even dirty or you feel uh, uh, this thing that's been done again. Whatever it is, here's the truth, man. Here's the truth from Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You don't have to say it in my voice, but there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has come, he has bled, he has died, and you are new. Sometimes you just need a Christian brother or sister to preach the gospel to you, to look you in the face and say, I know how you feel right now, but this is who you are because of what he has done. This is reality. There's therefore now no condemnation. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You were dead in your trespass and sins. You're not anymore. You're alive. But God being rich in mercy... Want to be people who are just, just soaked in the scripture so we can respond in love and tell people the truth. And also, man, that we can walk with people and cry with people and be patient with people and love people as they're hearing that truth. Because sometimes, believe it or not, when you feel condemned and someone says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and they love you and they care for you and they walk with you and you hold your hand, you still feel condemned. And you need to hear it again. And you need to hear it again. And honestly, sometimes you're like, hey, I mean, here's a classic from my own life had a dude in a group I was leading, just felt horrible, was, couldn't figure it out. And the first thing out of my mouth was, hey, man, I got a great book for you to read. Because I'm a book guy, right? I just said that. I got all these books. And in love, he just looks at me right in the face and says, I don't need another stinking book. I need somebody to pray for me. And I had to apologize to him and say, you're right. You do. I love you. Let me pray for you. Because we want to be walking in reality. And who's the one that's going to do that? It's Jesus who's going to make us see who he is and help us walk. Okay, so back in 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So when, sometimes when we, when we hear this, um, my mom, who I love, uh, once heard a sermon, and I, I won't say where it was from. It was from a church in another, another place, another city. And I said, Mom, what did you, what'd you hear on Sunday? And she explained it to me, and she said, well, the, the preacher said that we need to try harder to be really good people, because if we're not good people, um, then non-Christians, people who don't know Jesus, will see our life, and they'll just think we're hypocrites and that we suck. And so the whole point of our life in Christ is that we try really, really, really hard to be as good a people as we can so they can see how good a people we are and that they can be good people too when they meet Jesus. And I said, no, Mom, what did he really say? He said, no, that's what he said. And I went and I found it and I listened to him. I'm like, that's exactly what he said. Because here's, here's how classically we take this. Walk in a manner worthy means it's up to me to show you how good I am so that you will love Jesus. Here's the problem with that. Me. <laughs> Me. I'm the problem with that. Because guess what? I'm going to screw up. I'm going to screw up. I'm going to sin. And that's why I say, man, I totally jacked that up. Please forgive me. That's, that's not the deal. Walking in a manner worthy is this life walking in response to that Ephesians reality that he's the one that saved us and he's the one that's done it and he's the one that's finished it and he's the one that's done it all, which means I can actually wade out into that 
in repentance. And it means that he's actually empowering these other things. And I think sometimes for those of us who have more of a reformed disposition, we have trouble with this. We're really good at quoting uh, Romans 3.23 without the other verses around it. Uh, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is true. That's why Jesus came. But we live with that as our functional reality from here on out. And all we kind of do is think, yeah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all I can do is be crappy and suck all the time. Right? But here's what he actually said. Here's what it says in addition to that. Yes, it's true. You need a Savior every day. I need a Savior every day. I fall short every day. And at the same time, through the cross of Jesus Christ and through what he has done and through the righteousness he puts upon us and from the fact that he's empowering us by his Holy Spirit and the fact that he's given us his word to live by. Verse 10, so walk in, worthy manner, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Did you know that you live because of his cross and what he's done and him looking at you that you actually live in a way that's pleasing to God? That's a righteousness that's put on you from Jesus. Yeah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I fall short of the glory of God every day and every day I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. If you are a parent, man, your job is not to show your kids how awesome you are. Your job is to show them that you need a Savior. And when we walk in dependence on our Savior, Jesus, we can walk in a way that's pleasing to Him and His righteousness and what He's done. So this is us responding to who He is and what He's done. But you can actually do... When you actually live in this dependent life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is His work, and you're actually walking, He doesn't need anything from you. What do I need that's made by human hands? And yet, he doesn't... I mean, can you... I, I mean, it's fresh for me because I have this yellow notepad where I have my notes and my daughter has drawn all over my notepad and she drew this amazing picture all over my notes and I didn't look at her and said, you've ruined my notepad. She looks at me and says, I love you and I made this for you. We're God's kids. And through the gospel of Jesus, not because of anything we've done, he doesn't look at that and be like, well, man... You're no Picasso. <laughs> Your shading is horrible, kid. Because we're in him and he is in us, because of what Jesus has done, we're in his family, and he takes that, those things and he says, yeah, that's awesome. You be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. So we're living with these new lenses. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of Him. What are the good works? They're the works that He's empowered by His Holy Spirit that come through His cross that we now actually get to walk in. Right? This is the now what? Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. According to his glorious might. Who's going to empower me to walk in good works? Well, the one who foreordained them before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 2. Where do I have the power to live a life that's pleasing to God in any way, shape, or form? Because it's not from this guy. It's not from this bag of bones. It's what he's doing in us to help us, to empower us, to make us walk in his ways for his glory. I have nothing to bring to the table. He brings it all to the table. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now this one, um, at first glance... I could go on a coffee mug. 
for all endurance and patience with joy. Right? That's nice. That's not, I want to be a person who's living with all endurance and patience and joy and thanksgiving. That sounds very nice. Um, here's our, I preach out of the ESV. It's a word for word. I also like the NASB, a word for word. Um, here's the problem with a word for word translation. The guys who are taking this out of the Greek are trying really, really hard to use one word for one word. So that you can study it, you can look at it, you can figure out, oh, what's the Greek word here and how does that all work out? Um, either or is fine. I like the ESV. The NASB is also rad. And this is where I stop myself from getting a conversation about how each of these translations is rad for its own right um, and Bible nerd out about it. The NIV 84, also really good. Uh, there's lots of good Bibles out there. Um, and if you need help buying a Bible, by the way, I am a Bible nerd and would love to give you 10 recommendations. Like, now what do I do? He said, these, all, all these Bibles are awesome. What do I I, will give you, I, I would be happy to help give you a couple of recommendations. We use the ESV. Anyway, so here's the problem. Greek and Hebrew, dense languages. With Hebrew, with one word, you can say something that takes a whole sentence in English. The same is true of the Greek. These are deep and dense words. This word is fun to say. This word, this first one, enduring, is the word hupomene, and you don't need to remember that. It is one of my favorite Greek words, and it's fun to say, hupomene, but you can forget it. You don't need to remember that. You just need to, need to know what it means. Endurance, staying power, lasting power. When you're in the muck of life, you do not let go. When everything seems jacked up, when everything's broken, when it seems dark all the time, you don't let go of Jesus. Endurance, hupomene. It's a good word. You run the race to its completion and you do not let go of him who will save us. I think it's interesting that in the New Testament we are told that we are saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Hang on. Hang on to the Savior. Patience, that's a nice word. And patience. Uh, this particular word, patience, has a, has a tone of when people are being evil to you, when people are being nasty to you, when people are being hard on you, when your coworker is cranky at you because they found out you love Jesus, uh, when, when your neighbor uh, keeps putting their uh, uh, dog's waste in your garbage can or worse, in your yard, be patient. We hold on. Patience. But patience when people are throwing darts at you. Patience. When things aren't going right because other people are doing stuff to you. Patience. With joy. Wait, what? Okay, so I'm in the muck. I'm holding on. And uh, people are throwing darts at my head while I'm in the muck holding on. Joy? You want me to have joy, Paul? Paul is weird, man. Like, you get down with Paul. He's in prison. He's chained up. Things are jacked up. There's joy. The book of Acts, they're in the middle of the heart of the prison in Philippi. In the darkest, dankest, darkest, nastiest part of a prison period ever, Roman prison, right? They're jacked up. Deep, 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 deep down. And at midnight, what does him and his buddy do? You know, in Acts? They sing. Paul, you're so weird. What do you mean? You're singing. You're singing, because here's what Paul knows, and I want you to know this. And, and there's been people that are so weirded out by this that they try and take this and say, he doesn't really mean joy. He, he doesn't really mean joy. He couldn't, po he couldn't possibly mean actual joy. It means he's hoping there's going to be some joy later. 
It, it means something other than joy, except for it means joy. We do that because it weirds us out, not because it's what the Bible says. And here's what we got to do because we love God's word and trust God's word. When the Bible does stuff that makes us uncomfortable, we got to hold on and figure it out. We don't just explain it away. We don't just explain it away. Okay. So joy. Paul's in the prison, at the bottom of the prison, in dark, and they sing. And it says something particular. It says there's a time and a place. It's at midnight. So I, I'm going to go ahead and go along uh, with other dudes who have commented, probably they're not having joy up till midnight. There's a reason where there's a demarcated time. It took all that time for them to remember, in the stocks, in the bottom of the prison, who's God? It took them a minute to remember what's actually true, because here's what's true. Eternal God entered into time, Jesus, so that we in time, in the muck and the dark throne at our head, could look forward to who he is, to know his presence in time, to look forward to what he's ultimately doing, looking back at what he's done in our life, and so that in the muck and in the mire and when the darts are thrown at our head, we can sing. How? He was in the muck. He was in the mire. He was in prison. He was crucified. He was betrayed by his friends. People, people would say things about him. I'm imagining here. I don't have a verse for this. But I imagine the crazy Galilean peasant as they perceived him. It's probably a guy when he walks down the street, they're like, oh, there's crazy town. Coming to talk crazy talk again. You think he didn't hear that? They didn't have like Twitter or whatever. Jesus came to town and he's crazy. But his mom came and said he was crazy. His brothers came and said he was crazy. You ever have a family member who thinks you're crazy because you love Jesus? Do you let go of Jesus? No. Does it still hurt? Yes. It sure does. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying we hang on. We hang on. Because we know who's God around here. It's Jesus. And we know what he went through to save us from ourselves. We know where we are going. We know where we have been. We know what he has saved us from. We know what he has saved us to. And we check back into reality. And that maybe even in those moments when you're just asking God, please stop this person from being so... Why are they doing this? I'm not even being a jerk to them. And please, God, help me in this. Please, Sometimes when we stop looking at our situation and we get our eyes back on him and remember who he is, I'm going to really, you don't have to do that. You should, though. Now nah, you don't. I don't want to be legalist here. Do you, do you sing to him in your prayer time? Do you, do you sing to him when you're by yourself? I would really encourage you. There's something beautiful that happens in our heart when you're in the muck and the mire and you're just in your closet or your office or wherever and, and you know the darts are being thrown and the muck is everywhere and you stop and you sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, you creatures here below. Oh yeah, that's who God is. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Oh yeah, that's who He is. You need people to preach the gospel to you, and sometimes you need to preach the gospel to yourself, and sometimes you need to sing to Him and to you so that you remember who it is. There's something beautiful that happens even when we do this together. When you hear other people sing the song, you're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's who he is. Anyways, moving on. Giving thanks to the Father. 
giving thanks to the Father. I mean, how much does that change your disposition? It's three in the morning, your kid is up, and you think you deserve sleep. And you just want your kid to go back to sleep. And then in that moment, you remember, I'm up at three in the morning because God gave me a kid. Thank you, Jesus. It was midnight last night. We're getting ready um, to go out of town, do some studies for a couple of weeks. It's midnight, trying to get the car packed and the sermon ready, and it's 12-12. I'm like, why is it so late? And I type something, and the date comes up. Jill, uh, I can't remember, 7-7, right, July 7th. And I stopped, and I remembered, oh, yeah, it's my anniversary all of a sudden. I'm up late because I have a wife who I love. We have stuff we're doing together, and I'm up doing what I got to do. And I stopped being cranky, and I went up, and I said, happy anniversary. It's awesome. I was up late doing stuff because of her, because of the kids, because of the life we have. If people don't like the things you think or are doing, oftentimes you need to look around and look why they don't like them. Your coworkers not like that you love Jesus? Praise the Lord, you love Jesus. There's something happens in our hearts when we look and turn our thankfulness to who he is and understand that he has given us everything. And all of a sudden, our hearts change and we begin to respond to that. He gave you everything. You have everything. Everything you have. What does he tell Timothy? Thank you for the food on the table and the clothes on your back. What do you have as a Christian? Better questions, what don't you have? You have Jesus. You get Jesus out of this deal. Be thankful. Be thankful. Who has qualified you, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, coming back to reality, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So you roll up to the race. I think I have no... I have no framework for sports, so this is all sanctified imagination. You roll up to the race. <laughs> cleats are clicking on the ground, ready to get in the blocks and run. And they say, sorry, dude, qualified. You're in. Well, I didn't, I didn't do nothing. I'm here to run. You're in, dude. Who's qualified us? Qualified us for what? What did I do to get qualified? Nothing. What do you do to get qualified? Nothing. Welcome to the gospel. Right? This is our tension point question. Well, if he qualified me, then what the heck do I do with the rest of my life? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light, which is Jesus, which is the new heavens and the new earth. He has transferred us from the, kingdom of, uh, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So if I think my walking uh, in a way, in a manner that is worthy to him is so that he will love me or so other people will think I'm awesome so then they'll think he's awesome, we miss the fact that we show up to the race and we're already qualified. We're qualified. And he's transferred us from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light. He's pulled us out of the old thing and put us in the new thing. Right? Not only that. Basics. The gospel is not ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. Basics, mind-blowing, face-melting basics. Basics that we should never wander away from. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Two things there. 
He's taken all of your brokenness, all of your failures, and all of your shortcomings, and everything. He redeems them. So all of a sudden, it's not about me trying to show you how awesome I am. It's about me walking in the redemption. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on you at work, I know. There's a lot of pressure on you with your neighbors to show everybody you're the best and you're the top dog. But here's the thing I know and you know. You're not. I'm not. Right? You know it. You know you know it. Right? I'm, uh, let's see here. Where would I begin with my own shortcomings? I can't spell. We had an Easter flyer that had the word church spelled wrong once. dyslexic. I can't read fast. I read slow. I'm too excited in the morning. I'm kind of grumpy at night. Fall asleep at 10 just sitting there in my chair. I could go down the list. And he takes all those things and does something with them for his glory. Right? It's not about how awesome you are. It's about who you are. It's about what he's doing. Who he's made you specific for his purposes. Hand in glove. He's made you for his purpose. He's made you for these things that you're walking in. Redemption. He's redeeming you. What? And the forgiveness of sins. So everything, every time you looked at injustice, every time you looked at something and said, I should have really said something there. I should have really done something. I should have. And you didn't. Forgiven. Every time you did something good, Every time you woke up and read your Bible and said, I woke up at 6 and I read my Bible, somebody give me a parade in here. You're forgiven. Every willful act of sinning against God and man. I mean, the magnitude, right? Forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. Forgiven. So now comes our great question. If all that stuff's true, forgiven, redeemed, loved, transferred, qualified, empowered, right? What do I do with the rest of my life? You walk. You walk in it. You respond to it. It's not you mustering it up. It's not you white-knuckling. It's not you push-upping. It's not you wrestling. It's not... It's not me showing up with my cleats suited up. It's me showing up and saying, Jesus has done it all, and now I get to live my whole life unchained from everything I chained myself up to and everything I was chained to, Satan, sin, and death, the whole deal, and I get to live in the freedom that Jesus Christ has made for me. I get to live. That's what I do. With my whole life, I get to respond to the gospel. That's worship. I am made new. I have a new lifestyle. I get to praise God, and I get to respond. So that my whole life then isn't me trying to bring something to God so he will say you're awesome and you're in. It's me bringing my crap, uh, my drawings to him and him saying, I'll use that. I'll use that. That's beautiful. I got it. It's us. Every day we get up. Every day. I, I knew this dude who used to just roll out of bed. And I would encourage you to do the same. I have kids that wake me up and I have to go immediately because they're running and they're stairs. But when they stop doing that, this is what I'm going to do. I try and do it with them then. He just stripped, threw himself out of bed on his knees, said, Jesus, this is your day. You are awesome. 
Help me to see you and walk in light of that. So our whole life then is not us being the ones who are starting something or reacting to all the scenarios and situations around us. It's us cluing back into reality and having the right lenses on to see Jesus for who he is and walking in light of it. I'm getting old. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a very old 32-year-old. I'm getting old, and I cannot shave without my glasses, which is awkward because I've always not done that. But it turns out if I don't have these guys on, uh, I come out, and my wife's like, oh, you need to shave again. And so now I stand there and I shave with my glasses on. I have to look in the light and shave or I'll miss a bunch of spots. The problem is is that we don't have the right lenses on. We're not responding to the right reality. We've responded to some reality we've made up in our head or some reality that's already happened. And I'm not saying there aren't wounds that need to be dealt with and I'm not saying there's not real stuff you need to anticipate. But what I am saying is that even in your situation, even when the darts are being thrown at you, even when you're in the muck, even when you're in the mire, you need to know that Jesus has done it and he's yours. Because in that muck and mire, in the worst, darkest, hardest things you have experienced, in, in the loneliness, in the bad health, in others' bad health, uh, uh, in, in being sinned against, whatever it might be, in your dark. Now imagine how dark that was. And imagine what happened when you came back to reality. When you remembered who's God around here. Now imagine going through whatever that was, not knowing who he was. Not having him to turn to, not having him to cry out to, not having him to relate to, not having him as God. Imagine it on your own. And praise God that that's not what you have to do. Praise God that the worst, darkest day in our life, the most uncomfortable, the hardest thing, the worst thing, we did it and he was there and he knows. And he was with us. That's a gift. That should turn our hearts to thankfulness. So we respond to this reality. What do we do? Five things. We walk. We walk in freedom. There were things that had you. There were things that people did against you. There are things that had you chained down. There were things that you were responding to. You've been washed clean from your own sin, and you've been washed clean from every sin that someone's committed against you. He's putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. He will usher in the new age for his people where he's putting the world in our lives, and he's going to wipe every tear from every eye, period. And we're free. You don't have to do things to make God happy. God has done everything in his son to make him happy with you. And you're free. Be free. Don't hand yourself over to imagining what your boss is thinking about you right now on Sunday morning. Because he's not. Unless you have a really cranky boss. I don't know. Maybe you darts. So we walk in holiness. Because here's the thing. Once I understand that, it's, that, that my desire to know Jesus, and not just things about him, but to know him personally, is not the thing that gets scores and him saying, oh, I like Andrew Pack now. He got up and did his, his quiet time. Where did that one come from, quiet time? He got up and he read his Bible and he prayed. You can call it quiet time. I don't care. But in there, I go to meet him. I go to Terry. I go to abide. I go to spend time. No one has to tell me to spend time with my wife. I like spending time with my wife. Why? Because she's awesome. 
and I love her. So I go in to meet with Jesus. I get to live my life with Jesus. I mean, I get to just talk to him in my head. I can pray to him. I'll pray without I can do that all the time. And I want to live my life devoted to him. I want to live in his holiness. I want to live in the freedom. I want to live in the knowledge of his will that comes from knowing his word. So do it. But do it knowing that that's not getting you any points. Do it because it's freedom. There's freedom in there. There's reality in there. We walk in action. You have the message. You are a message carrier. You have the message of freedom. You have the message of the truth. You have the message of Jesus. You have it. When you're sitting with your friends who are Christians, preach the truth. Think about the interaction you've had maybe with a neighbor or a coworker who's in their own mess and junk right now. When you talk to them this week, did you edit Jesus out of the situation? Because when we do that, all we're left with, all we're left with is sort of worldly, I've got ten steps to something. When in fact, when you know you're hurting because you're lonely, oh, you should get on Netflix. That's cool. It'll get a cat. You're lonely because you don't know who God is. Let me tell you who he is so that you can meet him and know him. And hey, I know. That can be uncomfortable work. Is that uncomfortable? I don't know. It's not uncomfortable for me at work anymore because I get the, hey, I'm a pastor, and so I get to say, hey, this is what I think. But when I was a dishwasher, that's uncomfortable. When I was running tables, that was uncomfortable. But you have the medicine for the sin-sick heart. You have what they actually need way more than advice about finding a cat. But not just that. We walk in these good works, renewal, service, love. Jesus came uh, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is a city that needs your help. This is a city that desperately needs you. You know, I got, I got buddies who are uh, social workers. And there's just kids that don't have homes. Right? We, we love Family Works. We're so thankful to partner with them. We have diapers on a table over here because kids don't have diapers. If you're not a parent, that might not be as big of a deal. But when you have three kids and you can imagine not having diapers is a big deal. When you have two coats, give one away. Because you don't actually need two coats. They don't even fit. Now here's the thing. We have to walk in dependence. We have to walk in dependence. Because if we're going to dream the big dreams, if we're going to dream the dreams, the kingdom dreams, the dreams of your coworkers in the water getting baptized, if we're going to dream the dreams of being a church that loves this city, is in this city, if we're going to dream the dreams of serving this city, uh, loving those on 99, uh, loving everyone who's caught in everything from human trafficking uh, to just not knowing what to do with the baby they find themselves with. If we want to love these people in the name of Jesus, 
If we try and do this on our own, from our own flesh, we will die. You will die. If we try and plant this church out of our flesh, we will die. If you try and evangelize your neighbors out of the flesh, you will die. Because you only got so much. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes as North Americans, you need to hear that. You only have so much. There are only 24 hours in the day. You will die. If we want to dream the dreams of a changed, radically different Seattle or a church on the move, we need to depend on him who will give us the strength to do it. We need to depend on each other to do it together. You can't reach your block by yourself. If you can reach your block by yourself, you can't reach your whole neighborhood by yourself. And if you can reach your whole neighborhood by yourself, we'd love to talk to you about church planting and show other people how to do that and get after it. But you can't do it by yourself. It's all the Holy Spirit. It's his work in us. We are responding to who he is because honestly, if it's just about you being like, oh, the guy said that I gotta freaking talk about evangelism. Okay, I got this coworker and I know he doesn't know Jesus and I just, oh, I gotta do it. Okay, he said it and I feel guilty and bad. How long does that last? How many of those you got in you? I don't even got one of those in me. I'm old. Maybe you got two in you? One in you? Wears you out, burns you up? We're walking in the reality of who he is. We're walking in the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We're walking in the reality of Jesus. And it's not about us convincing people. It's us showing them Jesus. We've got to depend. And finally, with, in reality, we walk in Repentance. when you're at work tomorrow and you realize you're just responding to whatever you think your boss thinks about you. You're responding to your neighbor being unkind to you. You turn from whatever that does, even the bitterness or whatever, the, the insecurity, and you turn from that and you turn to Jesus and you remember who he is and who you are. You remember who he is and who you are. If you're caught in your sin, we turn from our sin and we turn to If you don't know who Jesus is, you turn from this other stuff and you turn to him. You turn from your sin. You turn from the wrong. You turn from the thing that's alienated you from God and others. And you turn from those things and you turn to Jesus and you turn to reality because he's the one that comes down to get us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we did to deserve it. Nothing you can do to lose it. He's got you. Jesus, help us to walk. You've done it all. You've prepared the good works beforehand. You've done everything it takes. And the gift you've given us is to walk in the reality of who you are and who we are. Forgive us where we've felt like you're keeping score on us. We believe lies about not doing enough or doing too much or I should have said this here, I should have said that there. Help us if we just have the nagging feeling of guilt somewhere. That's not from you. If it's just nagging abstract guilt, I do pray you convict us of our sin. I pray you'd show us the stuff you want to go. But you make it clear. Speak to our hearts. Help us to love and serve this city. Pray people would see even just our repentance. They would see our asking people who don't know you to forgive us for our sins and they'd see you and your power. More than anything, I just pray we believe the gospel. Jesus, we love you and we pray these things in your name for your glory.
Jesus Christ, amen.